You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Yes, welcome back to Motormania. I'm Damien Reed with you through until midday, and I do hope you're enjoying these beautiful weather outside for Eid this weekend. Eid Mubarak for everyone out there enjoying the long weekend. Still joined by Noel Ebden in the studio, and uh, we've got a couple of guests in the studio because we're going to get on to something really interesting that's something that I don't know a whole lot about, but I'm keen to learn. And uh, yeah, those who know me know that I love my motorsport, but uh, it's morphing into a new dimension these days. So do you ever wonder how Lewis Hamilton, Fernando Alonso, Max Verstappen started out to become three of the best F1 drivers? Noel, how did you think you would get traditional ways you get into motorsport? Karting. Start, yeah. Starting karting, work your way up, surely. Um, that was the old route, but I think we're about to be told it's not the route now by the looks of it. But uh, yeah. If, if, it's, if it's more affordable, I'm in, because uh, carts are now becoming a very expensive way to get into it. But you're right. I mean, there's a growing number of aspiring professional drivers who are doing things differently these days. Years of training are being replaced by sim racing, mm. simulated racing, um, esports. And yep. this, this is the way it's all going. It's massively popular. But COVID, I think, was probably a, a phenomenal uh, rise for it. Sim racing, revolutionising driver training, providing a cost-effective, accessible way for the next generation of uh, drivers to hone their skills, compete at an international level, transition into real-life racing, or from the comfort of your own home or a gaming centre. So our guest is a perfect example of how this is done. He's an 18-year-old professional driver who loves his karting, started to seriously train, though, through sim racing. He's now uh, has a long resume that includes professional esports and racing driver for Yas Heat, Yas Marina Circuit and Veloce Esports, driver coach for junior karting drivers, founder of the Diversity Drive Committee to Identify and Promote Underrepresented Individuals in Sport. Um, welcome to the show, uh, Yashish Manahur. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's, uh, it's, it's great to be on here. I've got to say, after reading all that out, I've just got to reiterate, you're 18 years old. <laughs> that's, I was, was going to say, it's quite a CV, isn't it? Yeah, it's massively <laughs> impressive. Uh, also joined by uh, Ryan Trutch, who is the CEO of Pole Position, works with uh, schools to produce young motorsport talent and uh, naturally a big advocate of uh, sim racing. Welcome to the show, Ryan. Thank you for having me on. Great to have you in the studio. I've known you for a long time, and it's good to have you in here to uh, yeah, good to see you. talk about all this again. Um, yeah, well, look, let's start with you, Yashish. Um, what got you into sim racing, How, and, and when did this all begin? Well, I think it, it began at a really young age. Um, I was really into cars. I think it was the Disney movie Cars, Lightning McQueen. That was what really got me into it. Um, and then I think from ages you know, five to eight, obsessing over cars and playing with little toy cars and things. And uh, for Christmas, once my parents had gifted me a, a little simulator steering wheel that I'd connect to a, a PS3 and a, and a PC. And from then on, it was just playing all these different F1 racing games. And um, it's what really, really took off from there. I think uh, when I was 12, 13, I upgraded my setup a bit. And that's when I started getting a little bit into amateur sort of sim racing, competing on competitions. I had to lie about my age and my name. I'd have a whole fake alias because I was not old enough to do it. So you're not old enough to do sim racing? Well, back then when I was 12, 13, a lot of these <laughs> amateur leagues, they had a like an age requirement. Okay. And I never met it, so I'd always lie about my age. And um, now it's fine. But um, you, You'll go a long way in motorsport, <laughs> yeah, I believe. I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> B- Bending the rules is part yes. of it, isn't it? Yeah, you're halfway there. You're, you're reading the rule book intelligently. Um, so... But how does, apart from that, how does sim racing compare to uh, to a real life racing setup? Well, 
honestly speaking, when I when I sat in the race car for the first time, I think it's just about visualizing it like you're at home, like you're on that setup. And you know, once the engine's on, and once you're once you're out the pits, and it's the exact same thing. The skills you learn from sim racing about weight transfer and traction and trail braking, a lot of these different techniques, the exact same in real life. There's obviously a big difference in the actual forces you feel and the the element of speed. That's the big difference. And I know for drivers and even for myself, it does take a bit of time to adjust to. But other than that, it's almost identical. That's amazing stuff. I mean, uh, you've just gone through the sort of the software and the hardware that you're using. Um, when you step out of that and into a real car, is it pretty much a, a straight transition across or is it still sort of your brain's got to go, okay, I'm in the real thing now? Well, I think initially it was like, oh, I'm in a real thing. I can't crash it. There's no reset button. There's no respawn <laughs> yes. button. I was just about to say that. You can't just go back to the beginning, can you? Yeah, <laughs> yeah no. So um, initially, yeah, it was. Um, there was obviously an element of fear. There was obviously an element of being a bit careful. You're not always on the limit. But I think um, a few months into it, when you'd go from the sim, like intensely practicing, and then you switch onto the real car, you try to emulate the exact same thing. You might need a lap or two just to get the tires warm and stuff, but once it's switched on, you're the exact same. Do you do you flinch at the walls, or are you think I can do this? Um, <laughs> you have to have confidence. You, you can't you can't flinch at the walls now. <laughs> uh, now, um, before we go much further, let's get on to you, Ryan. Um, Again, thanks for joining us in the studio. Tell us about the journey of, of, of Yashish from, from your point of view. I mean, is he a unicorn? Uh, do, do, do you see a lot of young people now getting into real-life racing from, from starting out with sims? How, how does that process come about? Yeah, so I think you know it's, it's completely open to a mass market now, right? So mm. um, you'll know from my work at Dubai Autodrome, we did a lot in karting because that was the first step in everybody's racing career. Mm. Um, and now, um, you know, as a result of COVID... You know, sim racing has really taken off because people were just stuck at home and had nothing to do, right? And yeah. um, that's kind of a success story of our our business as well because that's how it started um, during COVID. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just open to the mass markets, low, low barriers to enter. You can go to a gaming center or do it at home. Um, you can race people around the world at any time of day. Um, you know, there's the barriers are just so small to get into. And it's also opened up, I think, if, if I'm right, in a lot more women are now into esports yeah, uh, uh, into racing than uh, than they were into karting so i think it's kind of massively opened that up as well so it's no longer just about it's not the it's not the boys anymore it's everyone. no no so, well, i remember during covid i mean i was I, I became hooked on watching sim racing with the with the f1 drivers sitting at home doing their things with australia with the v8 supercars they they ran a proper championship mm. as yep. if they were running yep. the real life stuff they couldn't race at uh, sandown park in melbourne so they did the sim version and it was compulsory for them to run they ran and it was it was addictive stuff mm. um now in terms of of drivers that are making it through the the name that springs to my mind straight away is a is a guy called Jan Martinborough mm. who started out with PlayStation I think um and he had his first car race here in Dubai was it the Dubai 24 hour with I Nissan? believe so yes yes that was a few years ago that yeah mm. so right, yeah. other than Jan Martinborough I mean she's, do, do you know of other people who have made it through into into car racing from from sims I think um, being in the industry, there are a few people that I've sort of worked with that I know of. Um, for example, one of my big idols that I look up to and also now teammates, James Baldwin. Mm. Um, I really look up to him in, in terms of what he's done and especially the successful drivers who have been able to go from winning on the sim and straight into real life and just show the talent and pace immediately. So there are quite a few drivers. Um, 
But I think the drivers who are who have been able to achieve victories and you know success straight away are it's it's a very small category right now. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So 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 Yan started with uh, I think it was PlayStation. He then Gran Turismo had, probably. Gran Turismo yeah. Yeah. raced a Nissan 370Z here production car. Went on to Le Mans, won his category uh, with, with Nissan. Amazing stuff. Yeah. I mean, the growing demand, Ryan, for, for esports. Um, uh, tell us about the, what you offer with, with with immersive esports. So immersive esports, we we do a whole host of things. So we, we've got a destination which is both for serious sim racing and an entertainment center as well for kids' parties, corporate activities. Um, but for example, we just had a Ramadan challenge um, which finished yet last night. We had it broadcast on YouTube. We had twenty people playing. Um, so there's a wide variety of people getting into it. Um, uh, you know, there's this more. De- it's developing every, every every all the time. So it's just uh, escalating, really. Is and yeah, it's, it's huge in the region as well. It isn't is, it? Yeah. Saudi, for example, there's so much going on. Mm. Um, I mean, we know. see in Saudi that a lot more women are actually interested in doing it than than males. So mm. it's um, it's really interesting. I guess that'd be having a knock on effect to getting because there is a surge in women who are getting behind the wheel and racing Correct, now. Yeah. Where there's there's probably. In terms of growth, percentage-wise, probably bigger than most other parts of the world. Yeah, in terms agree, of getting yeah. female behind the wheels, whether it be Correct. buggies in the Dakar, production cars, GTs in Europe. I mean, yeah. we all know probably five or six mm. females from Saudi who have graduated through, and and you're seeing that reflected through through esports as well. Yeah, hundred percent. And you know, it's a safe environment for people to get into it. Right? There's no no risk of hurting yourself or the yeah. car or anything like that. Right? Um, and we're also doing things for people of determination, so people who maybe lost the loose, uh, use of their limbs. We can set up controls where they can, can use everything on, on the hand steering as well. So, yeah. it's what's uh, from from a, from a driver's perspective? What, what's in it for you in terms of what can you win? What are the what are the what are the prizes that are out there for uh, for for a sim racer these days? Well, I think um, initially there weren't many competitions uh, locally as, as well, uh, championships, no, no real races until um, immersive esports and Ryan came along and organised a lot of things. And w- once you're into it, you not only have that sort of title of oh, I've won. A certain title or have won a certain race or I'm UAE sim racing champion but there's also a lot of opportunities that come with it as well as in people will notice you people will want to take you on and put you in different you know international events and um, there is obviously an element where you can win equipment you can win money but I think the biggest thing that comes to it are the opportunities that um, that just naturally come with uh, with winning these these sim racing events. Mm. And in terms of, uh, of of support and resources to drivers after they complete their program, Ryan, what, what's what's on the table there? So we are going to be doing a, an academy, um, which will probably be launched in the next couple of months. But we wanted to use Yashish as a test bed for our academy. Uh, we recently bought a Renault Clio and participated hey. in the Renault Clio Championship, um, and we had a free seat, so we put um, Yashish straight in the car and. Um, he tore through the championship, finishing third in overall and second in class. Back to you, Yeshish. Um, we were talking off air about uh, about where you're going to from from now on with Formula Four, but I want to know how you. Um, the, 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 we also talk about the challenges that you face ch- moving into real life racing, and you just gave a great example about how you defended in, in a in a Clio Cup race in your first ever Clio Cup race. Yeah, well. Um I think the main big thing was getting into real life racing initially, um, especially for a lot of teams and team managers here. It's not easy to let a sim racer who's 
never driven a car, um, never driven my parents' car, nothing before. Um, straight into a race car and to compete, it was very difficult, um, especially for the, the team manager we had. There was a big element of trust that needed to be formed. And so after I had won the UAE Sim Racing Championship and I was UAE, UAE Sim Racing Champion in 2021, I set off on a journey in 2022 where it's just marketing myself and being my own sort of businessman, trying to trying to get sponsors to race. And it was it was 10 months of just approaching more than 250 businesses and um, you know, finally, you you end up with with a budget. You go in, you put it in. You even after having the budget, it was about trying to let these team managers sort of allow you to drive the car, allow you to compete in the championship. And then you're finally in. You're you're driving. Um, and I think a big challenge when I was actually competing was to acclimatize with how real life racing works because it's it's not obviously like sim racing. Like I said, there's no respawn button. There's nothing. Um, but the, the good thing was, so for example, like, like you mentioned, one of the clear races, I was defending second for the entire race. And a lot of people after the race, a lot of people didn't know how I did it. And I think I showed them that this is everything I've learned from sim racing. I know I've never driven a car before, um, but this is the power of sim racing that mm. you're able to compete with these top guys who have been competing for so many years. So that was sort of the challenge, but also how you're able to overcome it is the most important part for me, at least. So, so what sort of advice would you give someone who's getting into sim racing and how do they transition into the real world? What, what, what sort of, what can you tell someone? I think it depends. I think um, first you need to give yourself time on your own. You know, train, mm. learn different techniques, learn from the best guys out there. You know, even till this day, I still watch a lot of videos on different drivers, different races, because you, you always learn something from someone's on board or some sort of race. I think, so one is obviously learn. Two is to compete. Just put yourself in any competition, build your racing CV, win as much as you can. And once that's done, if you are looking for a budget, then that's obviously going about sponsors. And I think in that, in that process, um, what I did as well, a lot of physical training, a lot of you know, getting ready to drive a real car, even when I didn't know whether I was going to compete or not, I was still preparing for it and still mentally preparing myself to enter into real life racing. So I think, so learning um, sponsorships and marketing and the physical aspect of it, just push yourself out as hard as you can in that, even when things aren't going well, stay determined, stay focused, and um, it, it'll all fall in place. Sound advice, I'll tell you what. Um Ryan, getting back to you for a second, pole position, you're obviously looking at very innovative ways to, to, to look at the future of motor racing, and this is a classic example through through eSports, but also you're, you're leading the, uh, the Green Power Education Program as well in the region. Uh, That's correct. You want students to be interested in STEM by learning about motorsports. How does that, how does that work? So Green Power Trust is it's a, a UK charity that's been going since the 90s. It's super successful in the UK. It's in more than 100 schools in the UK, um, in the US, India, China as well. Um, and we thought, what better to bring it here, you know? Uh, we've done a lot in terms of getting schools interacting with motorsports over the years. And we thought the Green Power Kit is um, an ex excellent way to get the kids involved in school activities, and then they race the car at the end of the year. So it's an electric vehicle cart that they have to build during their um, curriculum year. There's a lot of STEM learning interaction with other other uh, classes, maths and physics and all that. Um, and yeah, they, they race the, the car at the end of the year. They get to do some sponsorship 
uh, pitching as well. So it's really good. So the business side of it as well. There is, yeah. Because that, that's the thing. I mean, all young drivers, as much as they they they, they love being drivers and everything else. You've got to have support, and yes, yes, you'd, you'd agree with that. You've got to have support around you, and this is where you're building partnerships in in motorsport to provide opportunities to to get young drivers. I mean, how do, how do you work with partners to to work with people like Yashish and and through your, your green initiatives to get young people into into mainstream motorsport? Um, well, especially through Green Power, it's, it's more of a CSR thing that we're trying to get corporate companies involved with that to support it. Um, and, and drive that through. Um, obviously, then the, the kids obviously get involved in trying to raise sponsorship through their fathers. We've already got several fathers that are willing to to pay for the school to have their own car kit, which uh, for the for the year. So it's really good, and, and it's growing. Uh, we hope to launch it in uh, in September, in the in the beginning of the school year. Amazing stuff, and Yashish, you're you're. As I said, I get still getting my head around the fact you're 18, but you're you're already paying this forward. You're training young aspiring drivers, um, and you're an advocate for diversity in the motorsport world. I mean, this is admirable, man. I'll tell you what. I mean, tell us about how you you got involved in this. Well, I think um, growing up in in motorsport, doing the the little amount of karting I did, even sim racing, um, I felt like I was a minority. There, there aren't many communities that are represented in motorsport. Uh, it was predominantly, you know, sort of one one nation, one race. So I felt the need to sort of promote it to, to different people, to especially underrepresented nations. So um, I'm currently in the proce- process of launching a, a committee, which is unfortunately delayed. But what we're focused on is promoting sort of individuals in motorsport, whether it be mechanics, whether it be drivers, pit crew, anyone from a place that isn't very sort of well acknowledged within motorsport we're giving them a sort of spotlight to showcase their journey on how they managed to do it with the intention of showcasing to to young people you know this is how you get into motorsport because unfortunately in in every country it's not always the same journey to get into motorsport it's always going to be different so i think to have a platform where you're educating people on how to get into it was was sort of essential because i would have benefited massively from something like that so this is how i want to pay it forward uh, back to the community fantastic um <laughs> it's amazing obviously you're not you you you're just into clear cup now you want to go further what's what's your ultimate aim where do you want to see yourself in uh, in in five or ten years motorsport wise well i think with motorsport now it's it's unpredictable there are many different categories if i came on here and i said you know my goal is f1 i'd love to have been an F1 but I think it's you need to be realistic in what your goals and ambitions are I was fortunate enough to take part in the uh, in a scholarship shootout for the first ever electric formula junior series last year which I had uh, which I'd won so this year I'm racing in uh, uh, the ERA championship which is electric F4 and then um, if I do well and you know I back myself to do well I look to um, put myself in 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 a position to eventually end up in formula e whether it be as a reserve driver test driver i think that's the most ambitious goal i can have right now that's also realistic um there's the introduction of something called the ace championship coming next year which is sort of like a formula two formula three type feeder series for formula e and uh, although it's very new i'm quite heavily invested in it and working my way to give myself the best opportunity to be racing in that series in 2024 
Fantastic. I'll tell you what, you're going to go a long way. I'm massively impressed <laughs> with, with, with what your delivery and, and what you've done already so far. Um, thank you so much for, 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 for joining us, Ryan. Thanks for, thanks for, for, for coming into the studio this morning. Thanks for having us on. Thank um, you. Bright future, Noel, isn't it? Absolutely. I'm going back to school if they're building racing cars at school. I uh, didn't do that when I was at school. So, yeah, 100%. Tell you what, yeah, Shish, when you're in Formula E, don't forget me. Yeah. <laughs> I'll come and see you. Yeah. All the best with it. You're going to go a long way. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motor Mania on Dubai Eye 103.8. Yes, bit of Jamiroquai on a Saturday morning. Another guy who loves his cars. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Doesn't he what? Uh, joined now by Noel Ebden, uh, who's uh, – thank you for joining me on this Eid break weekend so we can no discuss problem. the latest in the, the world of, of, of cars. Um, being being the last week of Ramadan, fairly quiet week out there for – well, for me as well, work-wise as well. But uh, what, have, what have you been up to this week? Not a lot, actually. Um, tinkering. Yeah. yeah, working on the cars and stuff. That's so, what it's for, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. You know, it's uh, the wind down to Eid, isn't it? And then uh, back to full speed next week. Yeah. Have you done any of the uh, – there's been a number of, like, Eid um, uh, iftar drives with a couple of the uh, – the, I can't say car clubs, but the car associates, like, you know, the guys like Flat 12 or Bi- mm. Bikers Cafe, those guys do these little nightly runs. Have you joined any of those? No, I did a morning coffee run uh, about uh, last week when I had the Ferrari 296. Oh, yeah. Uh, took yeah. that down there and caused a bit of a stir. but uh, Quietly. But, but yeah, 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 exactly. Very <laughs> quietly wafted into the car park. But, uh, yeah, no, it was good. It was, uh, But, no, I didn't get to do any. I wanted to do a, a couple, but, uh, yeah, missed them Unfortunately, yeah. But, uh, yeah. Um, good. It's always good to see those guys out every year and doing doing that, breaking the fast with the, around some cars down by the beach. Absolutely, I must get down there one time. Yeah, uh, but I didn't quite have the car to do that this week um, because I had the the car that works for every other situation, but maybe not in the classic market. I had the Nissan Patrol Platinum V8, ah. which will become a classic one day because it is quite possibly the last naturally aspirated petrol V8 SUV in the market. The next one's going to be V6 Turbo. Um, like the Land Cruiser LC300, that's also gone V6. This is the, the good old-fashioned 5.6-litre V8. Uh, externally, not too many visual changes to it. A new badge, a bit of chrome trim on the grille, uh, but that big V8. Analog dials, to me, I felt as I described it to someone saying, saying it's like comfort food in the world of these downsized hybrids and Absolutely, EV yeah. powertrains. It's like going and back in time, isn't it? Multiple yeah. tablet screens and haptic touch buttons. This had sort of real buttons, um, real gauges. V8 engine, with you that, you get the fuel consumption as well. Yeah, I was going to um, say, there's always a downside, isn't there? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, you know, we're so tired of these, you know, screens, the, 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 your finger marks and things. This still had the buttons on it. It does have the new screen, but it, you can still operate everything else with the hardwired rotary controls. Nice. And, we do love a button. Don't we? I Bring do. Back I, th- I think we do because you don't need to look at them when you're driving. You can exactly. still alter the air conditioning and the and the the stereo, as you found out with the Ferrari last week. Yep. You know, you're, you're taking your eyes off the road to look at yeah. and the Golf and the Golf before that as yeah. well. Is they uh, all going the same way? Yeah, all very doing strange. it. Yep. Uh, this one though does have the giant high definition screen still, piano black instead of the gloss veneer timber that Nissan used to love, but it's looking a bit sort of you know Florida retiree these <laughs> these days with the the timber veneer. Um, That's such a good. <laughs> way of putting it. I love that. <laughs> Reminds you of like an old Cadillac. Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, but still, still a lovable car. It's a seven-seater, but only at a pinch. Despite the size of the vehicle, the third row, it's a, it's a big compromise. Mm. It, it eats into the luggage space. You've got to push the middle row forward a little bit. Um, but then again, the Land Cruiser is, is very similar to that as well. So not many seven-seat full-size SUV options available out there. 
the middle row again showing its age a little bit doesn't slide forward it just tilts forward mm. um but if you do want third row comfort i uh you've got to wait now until the uh the grand wagoneer from jeep uh i sat in one a few weeks back and it's enormous by comparison i was going to say i've seen i saw pictures of it part next to some other vehicles and was like that is massive yeah that and still lots of luggage car. space and loads of headroom but we're going to cover the grand wagoneer later when they're available on the roads mm. uh we're talking about um uh, 272 millimetres of ground clearance, 28 degree approach angle, 26.3 degree departure angle, and a 700 meter, millimetre waiting depth. That's going to mean a lot to those who go off road. Um, that's about. What's the middle the bit called? How long the it break is? Over. Yeah, the breakover. Yeah. That's the one. Que- <laughs> I knew you were going to ask that. That's the one I don't See, have. Sorry. The breakover. But the waiting depth, it's about, I think that's about 200 less than the Defender from memory. Okay. So the Defender, very good. Compared to the Land Cruiser, because that's the one everyone's comparing it to. It's a little bit heavier, about 350 kilos heavier. Seven-speed auto versus 10-speed in the Land Cruiser. 400 horsepower compared to 409. And we're talking about the 3.5 twin-turbo V6 in the Land Cruiser. 560 newton meters versus 650. So a little bit less power, a little bit less torque. Marginally quicker if you're into that kind of stuff in a four-wheel drive. 6.6 to 100k versus 6.7. 200 versus 220 top end. That's academic. Um, where it does tip in favour of the of the uh, the patrol, that was price. So we're talking around about two hundred ten thousand entry for the for the platinum against two thirty for the four liter V six right. Land Cruiser. Yep. The yep. premium model that I drove, the uh, platinum V eight, three hundred forty eight thousand dirhams against three hundred fifty five thousand for the uh, the VXR top of the line mm. V six. Um, uh, Land Cruisers. So there you go. Supply issues, uh, you're still going to have wait times with Toyota. So I think Nissan can probably get you into one now. Yeah, um, make hay when the sun shines. Yep. And even a few people are suggesting, look, saying, why don't you get into one of those? If you've got an order for, for a Land Cruiser, it's going to take two years. Get a patrol now, jump into it, keep it for two years, have fun. It's a great car. And then, you know, offload it when you pick up your uh, your Land Cruiser. It's like a free hire car, isn't it? <laughs> well, you will get your money back. That's exactly. the thing with these cars. Yeah. The, the Patrol is the same. Um, you will get your money back. So, yeah, and I did enjoy this is the fact that this is going to be the, the sound of the mm. V8. I know you know there's more efficient ways to get around now, but it's just a lovable thing. Yeah. Yep. So, yeah. I've spoken to a lot of uh, supercar owners who have got one in. Uh, they've got a Patrol sat in the garage. And yeah. they, always say to, they always say, that's the car I get in all the time. Yeah. It's easy. Get in, press go, drive, and get to where you want to go. Yeah, and and it never never goes wrong. Lasts forever. You know, you haven't got to think about it. It does yeah. the thing. It does the thing. And people are saying that the last model, the previous model, was the one that, you know, this is the last one. The next one's too technical. Now runs this into this one, saying, well, this is the last one, and you know, the next one <laughs> will be too technical. One, but it'll it? always be that one. <laughs> uh, but speaking of big off-roadings and getting out there, everyone's doing road trips right now because it is Eid. Yeah. It's um, and getting out there. So uh, picked up a couple of tips. That we talked about um, on uh, on Dubai Eye's uh, Instagram earlier this week. Things that you should be doing when you're out and there, and it's just just going to go over a few of those. Uh, again, you know, in, ter- in terms of food and water and, and various things, just take lots of water, right? Yep, lots of water for you and your car. Yep, absolutely. Um, and you'd be surprised how much water you actually need. I've mm. rescued a few people from the desert before who have gone out with a box of water and gone through the whole lot while, just while I was trying to dig the car out. Oh, and yeah. then they're like, we're we're short of water, and I've had to turn up and load load them all up with the get them back up to get all the fluids back in them. We did hot weather testing, prototype testing years ago for the Bentley Bentayga when it was a prototype mm. here. It didn't have air conditioning. We're out in big red 
hill in the middle of summer, July, mm. 50 plus degrees out there, no air conditioning. And they had, I think, four pallets of water in the back of the car for four of us. And by the end of the day, we'd gone through the lot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Every every two minutes. Yeah. So always take water with you. When it comes to snacks, I think um, we're, we've got the best snacks in the region for that. Dates, mm. dried fruit, because it gives you loads of energy, easy to, to digest, and it won't make you thirsty. So um, a few things there. With the car... Carry a phone charger cable or a battery pack for your phone, number one. Um, if you're not a handyman, keep the number of a recovery truck with you. Stop at the garage, check your tyre pressures, make sure the windscreen's clear. Make sure the spare tyre, if you've got one, has got pressure in it. So many people make that mistake. And tyre changing kits as well. Um, and a compressor, air compressor, if you're going to the desert because you're going to let the tyres down. You need to put yep. the tyres back up again. Yep. Uh, so yeah, just a few things, a few tips there. Um, but that's all up on our uh, Instagram page, Noel. Yep. One, one extra one. Yeah. Always check you got your towing eye with you. Oh yes. It happens all yes. the time. The amount of times I've gone out to the desert and someone's gone, and they've got everything. They've got the the lift. They've got the spare. They've got all the water. Ah, oh, I haven't got a towing eye. And if it's not uh, a Wrangler, comes with it fitted, for example. But, yeah. But everything else, you've got to find the towing eye, and, and quite and often a, it's at home. <laughs> and a screwdriver to to, to lift yep. the plastic flap exactly, out to yep. make sure you can access it. And I've been a victim of that with a press car once, yep. many years ago. Um, and and a, and a local farmer, Bedouin, managed to drag me out of the sand because he had the equipment. Yep. So I can absolutely concur with that. Uh, so yeah, just a couple of tips for uh, for this Eid weekend. It's all up on our Instagram, Dubai One Hundred Three Eight FM. So uh, do check it out. Um, after this, we're going to talking about well um, a car company that's uh, that's changed its name and turned it back around what's that what is that car company who is that car company we'll tell you straight after this this is motor mania on dubai i 103.8 the uae's number one talk radio station Yes, Motor Mania with you through until midday. I'm Damien Reid, and I'm joined in the studio by Noel Ebden, motoring journalist, and uh, we're covering off events that have been happening this week. And one of the one of the things that really uh, made me raise my eyebrows, Noel, was the news coming out of Shanghai, the Shanghai Motor Show, of course, back on first time since uh, since we had COVID. Lots of stuff going on there, uh, but one of them came from Jaguar Land Rover. Uh, saying that uh, that they're dropping the Land Rover part of their name, um, but then they've backtracked on it this morning. So yeah, unsurprisingly, <laughs> interesting the one. Ho- the whole world did a uh, what? <laughs> yeah, I mean we had we had uh, regional boss Bruce Robertson uh, on the show just before Ramadan. He talked about the fierce competition in the car world. Jaguar Land Rover announced this week to be known just as JLR as it shifts its focus towards battery powered vehicles. Also said it was spinning off several Land Rover models into their own sub-brands. So um, things like uh, Range Rover will be just Range Rover. Defender will be just Defender, Discovery, and, of course, Jaguar, um, which they're spinning off as a full electric brand. So CEO Adrian Mardell confirmed this, um, that the cars were creating under two brands and uh, calling it sort of JLR. Uh, he said that Land Rover would become a trust mark for the Defender, Range Rover and Discovery brands. It's just that you won't see the words Land Rover on them. Now, in doing that, Jerry McGovern, who is the uh, chief creative officer, um, admits that calling one of the models the Land Rover, Range Rover, SV autobiography is too much. And I agree with that. Um, but as you see, Noel, I, I'm old enough to remember when Range Rover was a standalone brand on its own. Right? Exactly. It was, yeah. it was back there. Um and I'm okay with calling it that, but I'm not sure. And Defender might get away with it, but I don't think Discovery is a strong enough brand to be out there on its own. I think it needs the Land Rover 
behind it. So, I mean, um, this just smacks of a marketing team with nothing to do to me. I mean, really, I mean, I, I just baffles me. And everyone, the, the entire world went, what? It didn't even make sense. I yeah. Mean, and, you know, like, thankfully, it seems like they might have gone back on, on it. So. Well, that's it. I think the, the, the weight of public opinion has come back um, because just this morning, hot off the press, uh, it was as we came into the studio this morning, Lee, reading what was happening overnight, we found out that they've backtracked on that announcement overnight, saying at the Shanghai Motor Show that the JLR nameplate isn't being abandoned yet. Um, they said that, quote, the iconic name is too well established and revered. It remains a cornerstone of our business adding that we'll still see the familiar green oval badge on Defender and Discovery models and in dealership signage, plus subtle versions on the Range Rover. So in other words, as you were. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> we, we're dropping it, but we're not. Yeah, yeah well, we had, we, as we said, we had Jaguar Land Rover regional boss Bruce Robertson on the show just before Ramadan, and he talked about the business and the fierce competition uh, in the car world. The industry has realised that we have to react faster. You, you look at the speed at which uh, the Chinese operate, um, you, you know, the speed with which they bring vehicles to market, and we've had to become more efficient in terms of what we do. So we've had to re-engineer vehicles very quickly. And in re-engineering, you look at different processes, you look at different uh, you, you know, products, different segments of the market that you're going to compete in. What has it meant in terms of the operations? Um, we've managed to maintain our position in terms of headcount here in the region, so it's been pretty good for us. For our importers, I would have to say business has been very good. So it's actually allowed a level of growth. Um, where there had been a cutback in 2020 for many of them because obviously the volumes weren't there. The, the, the increase in volume now through the service side of the business, the finance side of the business has effectively led to, to employment opportunities. So it's a very, very positive story for the region. And, and I'm very optimistic for, for, for the coming two years. Yeah, that was uh, Jaguar Land Rover boss Bruce Robertson in the studio a few weeks ago talking about that. And I think personally, Noel, I think he'll be breathing a sigh of relief and the team here in the regional office because the Land Rover brand name is so hallowed here. It's such an important, mm, powerful brand that, that you know, everyone knows Land Rover. It, it's, it's like one of those brands, whether you refer to, you know, uh, Coca-Cola or, mm. for, you know, Ford is another one or, yep. you know, McDonald's. They're, they're, they're brands that you just see and you instantly know what they are. And exactly. to change it yeah. would be uh, – yeah, I don't know what was going on there. <laughs> so I think the boys will be, and, and girls down there at JLR Middle East will be very happy with that. Now, with the other brand, the the, the J of the JLR, Jaguar, uh, what they announced yesterday too at the Shanghai Motor Show is that it confirms what, what Bruce Robertson was, was hinting at when he was in the studio is that they're becoming a full electric brand. And in 2025, they're coming out with a new car with a base price of around about half a million dirhams uh, as a GT car that will take on the Porsche Taycan and the uh, Audi e-tron GT. So a low-slung, very stylish four-door coupe style of thing. Um, they claim with a range of 692 kilometres uh, out of that uh, EV as part of being re reinvented, reinventing the Jaguar brand as a low-volume, high-cost luxury car. Hang on a minute. Reinventing Jaguar as a low-volume, high-cost luxury <laughs> car, i.e. what it originally was in the first place. Well, that's what they said. They said they're going. They would like to go back to Jaguar yep. of the nineteen eighties and nineties. And I immediately thought, well, let's hope it's not the build quality part. Let's hope no, it's the image, exactly. but because the image was great. Can you, know? you imagine a sort of e e-tron esque XJS with? I think it would be an awesome car, wouldn't it? I think it would look fantastic. Can you imagine I that really kind would. Of, yeah. But I think what they're getting at is they're going away from the e-pace style of thing, the, the the SUV that didn't really work. 
early mm. days of electrification, they had to go that platform to an extent because it was a skateboard chassis, yep. which means the car has to sit high, so therefore an SUV makes sense. Now technology's mm. moved, as we've seen with the e-tron and with the Taycan Porsche, you can build lower cars. And yeah. I think that's where they're going. And also Jag, you know, kind of has its own um, SUV brand called Land Rover. Exactly. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> they don't really right. need it, do they? So anyway, yeah, um, I but, think that's a good move. Yeah, yeah and, and it was one of the one of the the uh, the stories that came out of Shanghai this week. Other major reveals came from BYD, who we said here just being launched here through Alpha Tame, uh, Lexus, Maybach, MG, Polestar, Porsche, and VW all made announcements. Uh, BYD launched a car called the yeah. The Yangwang U9. Now, it's a gangly name, but it's a good-looking car. I had to look at it. Can you say that again for me? Because you, you did that <laughs> so, far too well. Hang on. I'll put my teeth back in. The <laughs> Yangwang U9. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, if, it, it's a two-door sports car. If you think new Corvette, think Ferrari, that's the, that's the style. Oh, it's a good-looking okay. car. Um, so, you know, BYD is huge in its homeland. It's an electric supercar. Two seconds to 100 kilometers an hour. Um, so therefore, in performance, probably equivalent to the Pininfarina Batista, equipped with an advanced um, vehicle control system that is able to drive on just three wheels, apparently. Don't know why, but you want to... Why would you need... Okay. I thought Citroën perfected that in the yeah, 50s. Yeah, exactly, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, Lexus brought out a, a large MPV called the LM that's going to take on primarily the, the Mercedes Viano market that does the airport uh, shuttle runs, so on up. Which are great. Maybach has the EQS SUV as China is one of their largest markets. They revealed the uh, the Maybach EQS SUV, its first electric model. Uh, model. Um, it has twin electric motors, 659 horsepower from what essentially is a, a big SUV. They're claiming a range of 600 kilometres out of that one. These ranges are just going up every week, aren't they? I mean, it I is. I can't keep up yeah. with this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, MG countered the question that everyone's been asking since they've been taken over by Geely, the Chinese manufacturer. When are you bringing out a sports car? Well, they they showed us a couple of concepts, the MG Cyberstar, and they um, pulled the wraps off the production spec version of that. It's an electric roadster that they've been teasing us with for a while. It's currently... Um, they're still tight-lipped on details, but they've confirmed that MG will celebrate its past sports car heritage with this uh, new model, um, hopefully here towards the end of next year. We'll see what that what that brings. Okay. Um, a new brand that's still getting its feet in the region, Polestar, they've revealed their new model, the 4. It's a new coupe SUV um, that uh, has no rear window, a camera, digital display, handles the views out the back. I don't know how that's going to work. But uh, top spec is a 537 horsepower dual motor version that, uh, again, they're ranging, they're looking for a range of 600 kilometres. We were only at 150 kilometres like five years ago. Oh, it gets it's better. Just it's just crazy. It, it's ridiculous. Um, on, the, on the internal combustions front, Porsche have, uh, showed the, the, the facelift to the KN. Big news from Porsche. They're now following up. Uh, it, it's, it's a heavily revised version of the current third generation car. Um, the exterior doesn't look dramatically different. I had a quick look at the, some images. The inside gets a bit of a makeover. Some new screens being introduced from the Taycan. Um, more power, and there is a plug-in hybrid models have been significantly enhanced. So they're claiming a full electric range from the plug-in hybrid models of 90K. And uh, and to wrap things up, VW, the ID7. We've talked about the ID range on Motormania a few times, trying to get those those models into the market, hoping that this one will be there. Uh, the ID7, it's an electric fastback. If you think back to the uh, the was it the Arteon? 
the Volkswagen, the, oh, yes. the, the, the four-door yeah, yeah, coupe yeah, kind yeah. of thing. That was quite nice. Good-looking car. Quite nice car. That style of thing is is where the ID7 is going in terms of uh, design-wise, up against the Tesla Model 3 and the Polestar 2. Um, and it's also going to have the firm's largest electric car battery to date. And they're offering, let's go one better than six, let's go 700 kilometres out of that oh, one. This is how, We're going to be at 1,000 by the end of next year. Look, I think it puts a puts an end to uh, uh, range anxiety, as we, we yeah. should say. Um, I don't think there's an issue with that at all. If you're talking 600, 700 kilometres, yeah, you know, it's... it's uh, You've got to go a long way to get range anxiety, haven't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's what's been happening over there in, in Shanghai and the world of Jaguar Land Rover. Those Land Rover fans, do not despair what you read earlier in this week. It's all changed. It's all good. Land Rover is staying anyway. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Motormania with Damien Reed. Yes, we're with you, Motormania, through until midday. I'm Damien Reed. I'm joined by Naz Chowdhury in the studio for a bit of... Fix it or flip it. So, Naz, let's get uh, let's get straight into it. Um, we've got a text here from Ajith. It says, Happy Eid. I'm in the market for a sports car, and I'm wondering which model you would recommend. I'm considering a Porsche 911 or a Chevrolet Corvette. Good choices. <laughs> <laughs> Entirely different uh, style of sports car, but... We're supposed to be independent and unbiased, right? You're asking <laughs> a, a Porsche a petrol head, a Porsche fan. Uh, hands down, I'd say the Porsche. I know many people would uh, kill me for that. Um, yes, the Corvettes are great, big V8 American muscle, but in terms of overall performance, handling, stability, yeah. depreciation, you cannot beat a 911. It's a very vague question as well because it depends on the budget. I mean, massively, massively, <laughs> and it depends on the model as well because because uh, yeah. you're right. And but, but I am going to I'm going to offer a slightly alternative to that. I haven't driven it yet, but the the new the new Corvette is a very different beast. Uh, so to, the to new the 11 Turbo. X, exactly, so. exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, but we're talking about budgets as well. Uh, the new Corvette, biggest change in Chevrolet's history of the model. It's now mid-engine and not front-engine. It's the one that looks like a Ferrari. It for, looks like yeah, the Ferrari. Yeah, the first glance, like, oh, new for Oh, wait. Exactly, exactly. And there. it sounds more like a Ferrari than previous Corvettes yeah. because it uses what they call a flat-plane crank, which is yeah. what Ferrari yeah. has been using yeah. for a long time. Yeah. So yeah. that's why smoother sound. it has that buzzier sound yeah. rather than the big throbby V8. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and from I saw it the other night at a at a Sahur with General Motors. We fired it up, gave it a bit of a rev, couldn't drive it, sounded amazing. Yeah. Um, waiting to find one on the as soon as they get on the press fleet, don't worry, we'll, we'll bring you uh, the, the full update on that one. But um, um, although it did get one, I've just realised I got a I got a very quick lap in it in Detroit last year at the proving ground. You forgot. <laughs> Sorry, uh, he forgot he drove um, the new mid-engine Corvette. A lot's happened since June last year. Humble, humble man. Yeah, um, it was fun. It was it was really fun. Yeah, at, I mean, uh, in essence, it's um, you know the American muscle cars have been known for you know let's get. Uh, a fairly dated chassis, with all respect, yeah. you know, 80s, 90s, 2000s. Let's just go get as maximum displacement as possible, put it all together and see what happens in a straight line. And that's, for me, been the essence of like a lot of this American muscle. But now, really, they're using the sports car DNA to have a mid-engine car, a mid-engine, yeah. uh, mid-engine car. Uh, Corvette are really, really pushing pushing the game here in terms of, you know, there's a lot of competition in that segment as well. You know, yeah. if you're looking at the two-door coupe, there's so much competition now, so for Chevrolet to be oh, punching man. and trying to get into that into that league, you know. But but as you say, I mean, you know, a Porsche 911 can be anything from 
a Carrera 2 to a GT3 RS. It's such a wide thing. Um, and and yeah. is it a new one or is it a previous model yeah. or an earlier model? Is it a, a Targa? I mean, there's so many <laughs> permutations. Give but us one a price thing, range because we could yeah. just go on forever. Sorry, sorry, David, I cut you off there. That's right. <laughs> but one thing I can say about them all is that I do like them all. Yeah. I really do. I'm, I, and and uh, the GD3 we reviewed on Motomania last year, oh, sensational yeah. car. Uh, I love the Targa in terms of styling and as, yeah. a, as a lifestyle car for Dubai, that would probably be my 911 for getting around Dubai is the, is the new Targa. It, it's just a great-looking car. It really is. And it's, in this it, weather. And also for me, it's one of the least depreciating cars. Even if you go back to you know, the early 996s, 997s, even the 991.1, the first generation, you know, 2014, 2016. The targets really, really hold their value. Really, yeah. yeah. Even though yeah. it's a small, you know, the no, entry level. the case, was it? Like 10 years ago, the targets were, 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 were the cars, unwanted right? cars. Yeah. Now, yes. all of a sudden, they are the wanted cars. So, um, yeah. yeah. It, with this, it, like, it really depends on the budget. Another thing about the Corvette is, you said this is a V8, right? Yeah. Yes. So I wonder how long that's going to last for. This could be the last of the V8. So, really, I don't know what, I think, what they're um, planning uh, I think as a, as a complete, and complete soul, yeah. Uh, yeah, dedicated V8, you might be right. I think they might go down the Porsche path and go hybrid. And yeah. so keep the keep the combustion engine but add hybrid technology because that's where the 911 is yeah. going. It's already – when we looked at the new car when it was launched a couple of years ago, um, the, the hardware is already there to, mm. be, to wire in the hybrid. That's why it weighs 50 kilos extra because there's, there's, there's 50 kilos has gone into – putting the hardware in terms of the space for the battery and the cabling and everything else, yeah. and then it's a matter of plugging it in, uh, which I think probably not too far away, um, for the facelifted model that'll come out. But it'll always be a flat-six combustion engine. Um, but I, I think th- And I think there will still be dedicated just flat-six combustion. Mm. I, I'm just speculating mm. here. I don't know any, any inside intel. And there will be room for a couple of maybe the, the more pedestrian models to be the yeah. hybrid ones, the genuine sports cars like the GD3s, I think will still remain because it's the DNA it's of It's the Porsche, DNA, right? exactly. Well, here's an interesting one regarding the Chevrolet Corvette. This is the first and could be last mid-engine V8 Corvette. How's that for a future classic? There you go. Yeah, And right? that, that would be worth <laughs> that something. That could be a winning formula in 30 years' time. <laughs> there you go, Agent. I hope that's helped you in some way. If not, it's just it's allowed not, Naz and I just keep to talk about it. <laughs> We're going to go to the line now. We've got a, phone, we've got a caller on the line. Matthew, good morning. Hi, good morning, good morning. I'm thinking of buying a second car, so I've narrowed in or zeroed in on a BMW X1. This is for my wife, you know. So I've seen something which is 2018 model done, 42,000 kilometers. Uh, the three-year agency, they had only three-year agency warranty and um, service, so that's over. Uh, so what would be a fair price I can pay for this car, you know, so that, that's what I want to know. <laughs> Sure, Matthew. Uh, thank you for calling in. May I ask, is it the MPAC? Yeah, that's the M Sport. Uh, yeah, that's right. Uh, the uh, two-liter twenty i um, X one. Um, so what you'll do is you'll see these cars advertised for around hundred and twenty-five, hundred and thirty thousand dirhams, somewhere within that mark. I think realistically, it should change hands for around a hundred and ten. Is it from a dealership you're buying it or from private? No, it's from an um, original. Uh, is the first owner. He bought it uh, from the agency. Um, That's nice. So, you know, if you're yeah. to buy it from a, if you're to buy it from an independent dealership, I'd say maybe 120, 125. But we all know buying private off someone's driveway, you know, you can always get yourself a good deal. Maybe one ten, one fifteen, somewhere there. Um, okay. Is that along the lines of what you're expecting to pay for it? Yeah, that's that's exactly what uh, uh, it's uh, exactly in the similar lines what I'm expecting as well. You know, one ten to one fifteen. Perfect. That's 
Uh, and you said this is, you've narrowed it down to this. Is there anything else you're considering apart from the X1? Uh, I actually see uh, it was the second car for my wife. She drives to Abu Dhabi daily. So we thought instead of clocking a lot of kilometer on one car, you know, if you have a second car, mm. obviously you can just change. And then, so my initial thoughts was going for, uh, for something cheap, you know, so I was looking at a Kia Sportage. Mm. Then finally, uh, so there were good deals, you know, which were 2020 models, 2021 for 7580 in that range, you know, done uh, less uh, clock, less kilometers. But then finally I thought, okay, <laughs> let's push ourselves a little more and go for a BM. Of uh, course. Anything else you can suggest? Yeah, that, that, yeah Matthew. So a like, similar range, you know, because this is my budget, 110, uh, 115. You know, no, I can't uh, stretch myself beyond that. Yeah, sure. I mean, there's a lot of cars within that price range. So, you know, small, mini, compact SUVs. Um, you know, I would consider possibly going down the Korean or the Japanese route simply because you're going to be doing a lot of mileage and maintenance is lower on some of the mm. Kias or Hyundais. But okay. man of taste, you want something German as well. I appreciate why you're going for the BMW X1. Another alternative, which is also great, you know, smooth ride and possibly less maintenance than the BMW, would be something from the Mercedes range, the small GLAs and things like that. They're really nice, oh, okay. really comfortable and uh, slightly less maintenance as well. What do you think, Damien? Yeah, yeah, good, good options there uh, for Naz. Um, uh, Matthew, also, uh, and Naz just pointed out a very interesting little point, is the warranty situation. Uh, 2018, so you're, you're looking at a car that's now five years old. Um, mm. If you look at perhaps some of, like you say, the Kia Sportage or the other, mm. they've got seven-year warranties. So you might be able to get you, you might be able to get one of the German cars that is just on the cusp of running out of warranty. Or if you do want to go mm. the other way, you can get uh, one of the Korean cars and you're still buying yourself a, a, another two years of warranty. So it just really gets down to because if you are going to do a few miles, um, it gets down to whether you whether you want to go with a car with a warranty or whether you want to go with a car that uh, perhaps is a little mm. more comfortable on, on doing doing those long distance miles. Okay, sure. We'll keep that in mind. Brilliant. Let us know how you go with that, uh, Matthew, and uh, yeah, I- enjoy the rest of uh, rest of your Eid uh, weekend. All the best to the purchase. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thanks. Uh, you too. Uh, have a good show. Pleasure. Uh, normally, you. I listen to you guys. You know, so wonderful listening to you guys. Thanks very much, Matthew. Fix it or flip it. Now, a very quick text here, Naz. A Chevrolet Tahoe 2018 Black, 80,000 kilometres. It's the 5.3-litre V8, third-row seating, rear seat entertainment system, heated front seat, wireless charging, a Bose premium audio system, and an 8-inch touchscreen display. Whoa. That so was that, that thank, was thank Sorry, I'm just trying to absorb all of that. Yeah, thank you, Texter. You didn't give us a name, unfortunately. <laughs> you gave us everything else. I love that. What was the? Uh, did he say anything about the engine size? Uh, it's the 5.3 V8. So this is the fully loaded one. So 20, 2018, 80,000 kilometers Tahoe. I guess that makes it with all the options. It's not. It'll be the LTZ. Did he? Didn't, uh, I'm, he I'm listed g- the options yeah. as opposed to telling us the trim level. <laughs> Yeah, it would it would be because you've got the the heated seat wireless charging yeah. Bose the, the Bose premium audio, so that would be the LTZ. I would, I would I'd say, say, yeah, yeah, I'd say around hundred and forty to hundred fifty thousand dirhams somewhere there. Okay, there you go, uh, anonymous texter. I hope that <laughs> gives you some advice. But thanks so much for the details. That's given us a really accurate line. Uh, now we're going to go back to the lines now. <clears throat> Vishnu, good morning. You've uh, we're, we've been talking BMWs this morning. It must have caught your ear. Good morning. Hi, good morning. I just heard you guys talking about BMW, then I just texted. Like, <laughs> <laughs> that's what we're here for. Fantastic <laughs> stuff. Now you're looking to buy though this time. So what, what's what's on your shopping list, Vishnu? I was just trying to buy a car for my wife. Uh, again as your last caller so uh, I was just trying to get a new one but then I mean I checked for a couple of used cars but I mean 
I couldn't find a better better option. So I zeroed in on X3, but I just wanted to know your expert opinion whether it's worth buying that much or. Okay. Yeah. What what sort of uh, what sort of budget are you are you looking at? Are you looking at a new one or or a near new? Where, where are you? Where's your your thinking? Yeah, a new one is in my in my mind. The budget, yeah, started off from two hundred, but right now we uh, X three is around two seventy and sports. So yeah, I'm still thinking whether I should stretch myself that that long or yeah, is there any other so. Part? Damien's a new car genius. However, I can give you my uh, <laughs> humble input on this. I'd always recommend, and the main dealers are going to kill me for this, a slightly used car. So with the, mm. with the BMW X3, I think it's between 260 to 280, depending on the trim level. Um, but, you know, everyone would want the uh, 3 litre V6, but they're going to 300,000 dirhams now, 300 to 320. So what I would personally do, Vishnu, is go to a pre-approved use section. Um, because, you know, ultimately we buy a new car because we want the warranty and the service contract benefits and that peace of mind. Uh, but as soon as a car drives out of the showroom, it loses 15, 20% of the value. So, you know, the argument for me would be whether it's a BMW X3 or similar, which Damien will recommend, is it not worth buying a 2022 car model with 10, 15,000 kilometers, you know, the full warranty and service package is available at 20% less. So you're either getting more for mm. your money and you can start looking into like Porsche Cayenne, Porsche Macans and things like that. Or you can get into the same class of car um, for two hundred thousand dirhams or less. I don't know what your thoughts are, Damien. Yeah, I mean uh, that that's really good. That's really good advice uh, there, Vishnu. Um, I would do exactly the same as that. As you say, you buy a new car, you, you lose the you lose the value and you drive off the the, the, the the court the forecourt, and that is the harsh reality. If you if your heart set is on a new car, go for it. But if you're just looking for ultimate value. The cars that are in the that the that are pre-approved that are approved by the dealer uh, go through the very rigorous you know check uh, you know hundred point check sort of thing to make sure that they they carry the warranty from the the BM, the, the manufacturer in this case BMW um, and you know you'll find that they might have five thousand kilometres or, or seven thousand kilometres they might be the sales rep's car it might be a car that we've driven as a media kind of routine um, and um, but they do give them a proper service and, and make sure they're good so yeah vision I mean you could you could up spec um, if you did that but if you want a new car I mean you've got the you've got the BMW X3 you've got the Audi Q3 uh, if you wanted to go down that near new path yeah the Porsche Macan absolute great car that would be my choice um, definitely within that if range. you wanted a new version of the Porsche McCann effectively uh, within close to your budget. The Audi Q3, the VW Tiguan, if you can find any, is is another option as well. So there's a few options out there for you, um, Vishnu. But definitely so, go, go and have a look at the near new stuff. Okay. No. So I mean, what do you suggest if I if I go for an alternative to the next three Porsche McCann, or that's that's what you guys recommend for a used one? I'd yeah. say that's the yeah. In that class of car, the Porsche Macan is the most premium. So new would be above 300. I think if, you, if you're happy to go for something 18 months old, that would fall right into your bracket of 250, 260,000 dirhams. But you're getting a lot more car than a BMW yeah. X3. So, you, so you'd be car. spending new car X3 money on a near new uh, Macan, so uh, that's the trade-off. You get to you get to upgrade into a nicer car, but it's got a few thousand much kilometer. nicer, much car. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> much, yeah. much nicer. I think your wife would be happy. Here's a Porsche. Sorry, I was supposed to get you a beer, but I spoke to two guys on the radio. Now you've got a Porsche. <laughs> so I mean, it's 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 better to go directly from the dealer, right? I mean, Porsche or 
Yeah, I mean, look, you've got the main dealer, as Damien said, which is like you're always going to get the full, you know, PDI benefits and all, all, all the, you know, comprehensive inspection reports and things like that. But there are a lot of good dealerships out there as well. If you just have a quick look on Dubizzle, uh, you know, there's a whole range of good quality independent dealers that are fighting for business now. But ultimately, the only thing I'd recommend is, you know, if you are going down the used car route, which we both recommend, just get an independent inspection report. I know Dubiz will do mm. them as well. You know, four or 500 dirhams for that peace of mind. Let them check the car bumper to bumper. Uh, make sure it's got warranty and service contract. You know, just call the main dealer, ask them to call the main dealer, get printouts for all the warranty and service contract details, just for that peace of mind. And yeah, let somebody else pay for that first hit of depreciation so you can enjoy yeah. a Porsche, right? <laughs> and, and, and regardless of where you shop, Vishnu, the car is going to come with the factory warranty and all the, and all the uh, you know, the, that's the thing that comes with the car now because that travels with the car. It doesn't matter where you buy a, a, a near new car from. If it's got uh, five or seven year warranty on it from new, it carries with the car. So you've got that bit of peace of mind with you anyway. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks very much, Vishnu. All Vishnu. the best, Vishnu. Thank you. That's always an option to, to have a look at. Am I too Porsche biased? No, <laughs> I just realised after the Porsche 911 <laughs> question of this now. <laughs> they, are getting a, they are getting a kick, aren't they? But but no, but it's it's a valid point. It, it really is a yeah, valid yeah. point. Is <laughs> you, you do get to upgrade into that. But also, BMW is getting a great run this morning because we've got another text message in. Oh, my Another God. one. Um, this time it's a, this time the brand new 2023 BMW X7. How does it compare to previous BMWs? This is from Sam. And uh, how well do you think it will perform in the UAE luxury SUV market? Well, I'll, I'll try and answer this one, Sam. I drove the car some time ago. Of course you did. did um, you remember this one? <laughs> yes, I do. I do. Uh, beautiful car. It, 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 you know, it ticks all the boxes that you expect from, a, from a, a luxury SUV standpoint. In terms of you looking at absolute practicality, probably doesn't have the same rear room as, as, as say, some of the, the, the American alternatives, whether it be Cadillac or, or that sort of thing, the Escalade or, or that, that, that style of thing. But it does have that European ride and feel as well. The styling, that's subjective. How big are the grills? Yeah, they're massive. I think... <laughs> They're massive. It's like you can tell the age of a BMW by the size of those front nostrils, right? <laughs> yes, yes, and they glow in the dark lately too. Um, <laughs> yeah, that do light up. But uh, but get down there, get get in and take it for a quick run. I had a look at the new XM a few weeks ago, and uh, they're starting to trickle. I'm not sure if they're starting to trickle through yet, but I had I did have a look at the one a couple during during just before Ramadan yeah. again. Controversial styling, but that's yeah. <laughs> you, you see, know. I can't get my head around those grills. If you go all the way back to the original, you know, well, not the original, but the early BMW M1, yeah, do you remember how yes. big the grills were? Like yeah. literally the size of an iPhone, and now they're like it's the size of an iMac, you know, and more. It's yeah. just ridiculous <laughs> in terms of size. Um, so look, for me, the BMW X7 is an absolutely fantastic car. I think it's quite, it's an extremely competitive segment, right? Mm. So in the past 10 15 years, you know, the the, the brands that jumped on the SUV uh, wagon really picked up. I mean, if you look at Porsche again, sorry guys, it's a Porsche day today. Um, you know, they're traditionally a two-door coupe, 911, you know, kind of kind of brand, you know. They they came out with this really ugly KN in 2004 and everyone was like, oh my God, what have you done? You've destroyed the Porsche brand, et cetera, et cetera. But the KN and the SUV range are the, are the most selling, you know, oh, Porsches yeah. By far. Macan, so really, I think, is the number one selling Macan is yeah. the number one yeah. selling. So, you know, this luxury SUV market is also something, like, which is really, really competitive. I mean, when you look at the BMW X7, the natural thing to do would be to compare with the Mercedes. Mm. Um, and then the Mercedes have that Maybach version. I yeah. think it's the GLS, isn't it? So the GLS yeah. compares to the X7. Um, 
I personally would say have a look at the GLS as well because that's a fantastic overall car. I don't know yeah. if you've driven it. No, no. But the the one I would suggest, though, if you're looking for a cut price Bentley Bentayga, have a look at the uh, Audi Q8 and the RS Q8. Yeah, that that it's a, it's a good looking car. Well, RS Q8 is practically a uh, Urus, isn't it? Really, it's a cross between an Urus and a Bentayga. So you know, you're, you're talking I can live with that. <laughs> you're talking about that levels. It's a great looking car. So yeah, and it's yeah. good value as well in the, in the used car market. You're yeah. getting a lot of Q8 for your money these days. I mean, you for can, sure. Yeah, like I, I was looking the other day on Dubizzle. Starting from two hundred fifty thousand, you can get yourself in a Q8. So that, yeah. well, not the RS, of course, but still, that's an amazing amazing value when you th- oh. Like, for example, Vishnu with his 260000 budget to buy an X3, yeah. was it? Yeah. You can buy a Q8 for the same price. There you go. There's, <laughs> there's an option. Fix it or flip it. Yes, welcome back. I'm Damien Reed, and I'm joined by automotive entrepreneur Naz Chowdhury, live right here in the studio to take your call. Before we go to the phones, another quick text here. Um, this is from Jeff. Hey there, I'm a truck guy, and I'm trying to decide between a Ford F-150 and the Ram 1500. Which one do you think is the better choice? That's a tough one, Naz. Yeah, it is. And, you know, with me, it's more German than American, but I can give you my humble input on this, and it would be the uh, Ford F-150. Mm. I mean, the Ford dominate that pickup uh, Still the number segment. one selling vehicle in outright the in the United States. In the, in the United it's States, It's the number yeah. one selling car slash light truck in the United States. And, and in terms of has been for forty years, incredible. So <laughs> yeah. I think that answers the question as well. And from from a used car perspective, I've seen some of these Fords with three, four, five hundred thousand kilometers on them, and they're still going strong. I mean, they're mm. really. I think the tagline is "built for tough," right? Yeah, and they are built for tough. Like these things just keep on going. So I tell you, you what, know. I, I drove the F one fifty Platinum some time ago. Is a, is the Ford or you know the the the, uh, the dual cab, but it's also the hybrid. And what? yeah, okay. and so when it takes off, it takes off under EV power. Yeah, and then you then you get along, and you, and you know the, the petrol motor kicks in. But this car, I drove it for must have been about three hundred kilometers or three hundred fifty kilometers during the week. It still had three quarters of a tank of gas left in it when I gave it back. It was indicating still over seven hundred kilometer range. Incredible. And this is out of a big pickup truck. This is out of an F, you know, the the dual cab F series truck. So I was massively impressed with that, and no shortage of power whatsoever. Ten speed automatic in that car as well. It was the EcoTech. I think they used the, uh, the the twin turbo V6. Wow. Then you throw the the electric motor in to give it a bit of a boost. Yeah. Massively impressed. Um, you know, it's worrying how fast this technology is moving with all these hybrids and things like that. It's like yeah. Every week, every month, there's some new innovation, some new technology. I, mean, I don't think there's been this kind of innovation since you know Henry Ford 100 years yeah. ago when they started inventing things like starter motors and electric windows. Yeah, and, like it's just every couple of weeks we're seeing something new and uh, innovative. It's amazing. Incredible. So Jeff, yeah, um, but the Ram 1500 too. I also drove the top end of that one, and I would probably say a few more creature comforts in the Ram. Top okay. end compared okay. to the Ford. So it depends on which way you want to go. Either way, they're both like limousines at the top end. Massive amounts of rear legroom. More than any passenger car, rear legroom is absolutely outrageous. <laughs> wow. Noel Ebden was in the, in the studio a few, and we were talking about it a few months ago, and Noel said that his kids, when they pull up, when they climb in the car, and he buckles the kids in, and the other kid walks in front of him. <laughs> he has so much rear legroom. So, you know, they are huge vehicles. But, uh, yeah, Jeff, I don't know. It's a tough one. I, I think for the fuel economy, I'd probably look, be looking at the F-150 mm. for the hybrid version. But also, as you say, Naz, 
amazing resale value because it's just such a dependable it really truck. Is, yeah. Yeah, going now to the lines, and um, we've got Mark on the line. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, Damien. How are you? Very good, thanks. Very good. You've got a car that everyone loves here. You've got the Land Cruiser VXR 5.7. Tell us more about this one. Yeah, 2014. I suppose it's pearl white, uh, 150,000K. I don't know who's going to sell it because uh, we've finished up here. We're going home. Ah, okay. Uh, 150,000 kilometres, 2014. I mean, it doesn't, honestly, Naz, does kilometres really matter when you're talking about a white 5.7 litre Land Cruiser? Not really, not really. <laughs> Although it does help to the right person who appreciates. Uh, Mark, have you got service history with this car? Hey. Yeah, it's full Toyota service history. And do you know, I'm going to ask you one more question, which may sound weird, but when you advertise it, this is going to be the most popular question you get asked. Has it got original paintwork? Accident free, original paintwork. You know what? You can really command a premium on this car. I mean, you mm. see them advertised yeah. anywhere, and, and they really, really vary. So, you know, filter down on Dubizzle to GCC specs, really to find something like for like, you'd find them anywhere from 120 all the way up to 170. Um, but honestly, Mark, being full service history with original paintwork, I'd go on the high side of that and advertise it for 160, 170. Um, because that is an incredible car. It's a staple of the UAE, and you know we've been recommending these for a long time. You do not depreciate, and you you can get the full benefit of that now. Yeah, no, look, it's a, it's a lovely car. My wife, we only bought it kind of six months ago from friends who got relocated, and uh, you know we went back to Australia. My wife's going, well, I'm buying one of these in Australia, and the price in Australia is like ridiculous. They're two hundred thousand dollars for the new three hundred series there. Yeah, yeah, it's it's, it's crazy, and, and as you probably know, the waiting list is horrendous down there too. Did you pay much less than that for it when you bought it? Um, less than what two hundred thousand? Yeah, uh, less than what one hundred and sixty. 160, 170, somewhere there. I'd lot less. Yeah, then, you, then you're in the money. You're laughing. Yeah. <laughs> I hope your friends in Australia are not listening to this show. <laughs> but, 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 but also, too, Mark, you know, you've, you've got the 5.7 litre V8. As you know, the new LC300 is, is the V6 twin turbo. The last V8 big size SUV new on the market now is the Patrol, and that's also going to go V6 later on. So the V8 is dying out. Which means that there's so more market now for yeah. uh, for for cars like yours, and and I think you know you're just not going to you're doing better than the stock market right now having a white Land Cruiser V8. Honestly, I'm pleased to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Well, all the best with it, and uh, all the best with the relocations back. Whereabouts in Australia you're moving back to? Uh, Sunshine Coast. Sensational. Fantastic. At the perfect time of the year, too. <laughs> All the best, Mark. <laughs> All right, Mark. Take care. Enjoy the move and good luck with the uh, with the sale. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Yeah, V8 Land Cruiser. You just can't go wrong, can you? Really, honestly, incredible. Have you ever been, anyone who's been, anyone who doesn't know about these cars or what Land Cruisers are capable of, I encourage you to go on one desert safari and you'll understand fully what, what the true value of this car is, right? We see yeah. what they do to them out there. Oh, yeah. Day yeah. in, day out. Yeah. And even those X um those X uh, Dubai Safari ones with like three, four, five hundred thousand kilometers, they're still selling for over hundred thousand dollars. And you would think that nobody would want them the way they've been battered day yeah. in, day out. But they still have value, imagine. Crazy stuff. I know people <laughs> I know people who've exported them uh, when they've left here back to places where they're not sold. Europe. Um, mm. You know where where petrol's very expensive, but still you wanna wanna carry a trailer to tow some race cars or horses. That's what you get. Yeah. Uh, United States. It's never. It's never been sold in the United States. A Land Cruiser. Did they not have a different name for it? Uh, no? they, they had the Tundra, which is the US they built. Had the Tundra, which is the US built truck. Yeah. Um, but the Land Cruiser has, has yeah, not been it, sold Tundra. there. So um, and and people who see it go, wow, what what is this car? Poor, poor Americans. <laughs> <laughs>
So uh, there you go. Um, another text message has come in. This is from uh, Josie. This follows on from a from a discussion we had last week as well with a Tesla. Our own Georgia Tolly here on the agenda. It was was on the phone last weekend looking for suggestions on the Tesla Model X. Well, this is from Josie. It's a Model S, year model twenty twenty one, blue. 8,000 kilometres. JC claims it has a range of 663 kilometres and looking for a value on the Model S. I found it, I don't know, Naz, I found it hard to find to put a particular value on the Teslas because they, they fluctuate so much in the new car market. Yeah. Didn't didn't Elon drop the prices yet again he recently? He has. He is has. a third drop this year? Made an announcement yesterday saying Was that, it, is yesterday? That, he's, that he's not chasing... Uh, He's not chasing profit; he's chasing volume now. So he's 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 dropping the price on all Teslas in order to to up the uh, the, the volume over profit. So uh, yeah, it's an interesting. But but as we said last week on on uh, Motormania, Tesla is is almost like the stock market because they they shuffle the prices almost on a bi monthly basis. Yeah, um, depending on 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 how they go. So a, a Tesla Model S now. Is about six thousand US cheaper than it was four months ago, but four months ago, it was four thousand dollars more expensive than it was three months before that. It, you know what, Elon is, you know, an out and out businessman, an entrepreneur, <laughs> and you really have to respect like some of what he's achieved with the Tesla brand and things like that. I personally think it's um, it's genius. I think mm. it's crazy. It's genius, but. It's really shook the confidence of a new Tesla car buyer now because you you know you're not sure if you're in the money or you're not in the money and things like that. But in terms of trying to get into that mass market, I think it's extremely important now. So I think that's the reason behind it. And I personally wouldn't care too much about short-term profits now. You think about the whole world going into electrification over the next three, four, five years. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got a lot of Chinese brands, like you said, BYD. We mentioned coming in really strong in the electric car market. And I think now is the time for all electric brands to, you know, cement themselves as, you know, the premium brand or the leader. And I think the only way to do that is to do the mass volume. And he's been able to uh, pick up off the back of COVID. I know there was a supply Mm. chain shortage with the lithium batteries and the semiconductor chips and things like that. But Tesla managed to really produce a lot of cars in the last six, 12 months. And um, if he can sell them at cheaper cost and get more more of his units on the road, why not? I think yeah. it's, a, it's a great thing. I mean, you really want to penetrate that market as much as possible because it's going to be extremely competitive. You know, what Tesla yeah. probably spend in, you know, um, a year's worth of R&D, you know, the VW group can do that in a week, right? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, he's up against some tough competition as well. What, what do you think a, 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 model, a model S would pull I'm now? so like sorry a- we completely went <laughs> off track there, didn't we? Um, so, look, with, with, with these uh, Teslas, they still have the earlier branding. So, I mean, the new ones are different, but with the Model S, you've got, you know, whether it's performance or not, so it's usually there's a there's a, a, a prefix on the letters. So it's P one hundred D or yeah. not. Yeah, so if yeah, it's got true. that P, it's got that ludicrous and things like that. That adds around fifty thousand dirhams. So it depends, and then also it depends if it's got the autopilot, um, the enhanced autopilot, and things like that. Yeah. So it really depends on the specs. Going all the way up to the the plate with the um, with the. Uh, with the, the yoke, with the the steering, yoke wheel. steering wheel yep. and things like that. Um, so let's just go for a mid-level, assume it's the P100, assume it's not the Plaid, and assume it's not basic. I'd say around 270,000 dirhams, 260,000 dirhams. Um, but they have slowed down, really, the Model S's. Yeah. The Model S's and Model X's, uh, the Model X's as well, almost being discontinued. Yeah. You know, it's all eyes on the Model Y and the Model 3 for now, to be honest. 
Yeah, well, there you go, Josie. I hope that's given you some indication. As you said, it's, it's, it's a tough one to pick a value on Tesla these days. But, uh, but yeah, I hope that's given you some, some ideas. Fix it or flip it. Yes, Motormania with you for a little bit longer through to until midday. Naz Chowdhury is with me for another 10 minutes or so, so do keep your texts coming through to 4001. But let's go straight to a text here, uh, Naz, and this is from Andy. Andy has a Jeep Wrangler, uh, a 2019 model, black, 48,000 kilometres. It's the 3.6-litre Pentastar engine, the V6, in that one. Mm. Uh, Jeep Wrangler's always, well, again, there's so many different variations of it. Yeah, I think 2019 is is the the later shape. Is it the J J L? I think it's called J L. Yes, J L. So yeah. the previous one was J K, if I'm not mistaken. Um, really, there's two deciding factors on this. Well, one deciding factor really it's uh, whether it's the two door or the four door, because um, there's a bit of, bit of a discrepancy on price there. You know, if it's a two door, I'd say probably hundred and five hundred and ten. Four door maybe ten fifteen thousand dollars more. Hundred and twenty, hundred and twenty five somewhere there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Okay, that works. Text message here, no name on this one, but it's it's a Peugeot. Peugeot 3008. It's a 2019 model, mid-range spec, 60,000 kilometres. Uh, they say it has some minor scratches from the car park, don't they all? Don't we all around <laughs> if you live in Dubai? What do you think I can sell it for? Um, and what new car do you recommend to get within 100,000 dirhams? Thank you very much, guys. Did you um, say if it's the GT line or not, just the 3008? Just the 3008, mid-range, so no, it wouldn't be the GT. I'm not completely au fait with a full Peugeot range these days, but the mid-range, I guess 60,000 kilometres, 2019 model. Yeah, if you're living in Europe, I think you'd be very up to speed with the Peugeot ranges. Just yes. here, it's not something that's taken off. Has the distributor really? just doesn't push, just doesn't push the brand here, unfortunately. It's P, is it P, not PSG? It's uh, Peugeot, the group. But like, mm. I think here it's um, you know they're really made for the European markets, aren't they? I mean, oh, massively, all over the place, incredibly and well in in France and in Europe and it's in just, Australia. Where my own family's owned many Peugeots oh, really? over the years, going right back to the 404s, 504s, the tough ones that used to win the wow. East African safaris. Yeah, yeah. I, I learned to drive. On a, yeah, I remember I, the 406. You know, yeah. was it the SI16 or something. something I learned to drive on a 504 Peugeot, so oh, really? uh, going yeah. way, way back. Uh, but this new generation, yeah, very, very different car. Um, in terms of price, I'd say around uh, around seventy thousand dirhams. I just had a quick look on Dubizel. Now there are a few available somewhere between sixty-five to eighty-five, depending on the trim level and things like that. So around yeah. seventy, seventy-five would be fair value. In terms of what you could get for a hundred thousand, I'll leave that to you for the new car range. But again, I think you see a common trend here on the show, which is you know if you want value for money, you're looking at the Korean route, yeah, uh, Japanese route. You know the Kia Sportage we mentioned a few times. The new X Trails come out recently. That looks pretty good as well. Yes, after yeah. a long time they've uh, face lifted that, and I think that's really good value. Pathfinder as well. The Pathfinder as well. Although. Yeah, that looks really interesting as well from the back, doesn't it? I had yeah. to double take the other day. I thought it was a Land Rover, or, or is it JLR? It does. Or, it, or is it, it what? <laughs> I can't keep track. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get on that one later. Um, but uh, yeah, Pathfinder is, uh, yeah, the tail is actually quite similar to the Range Rover Sport, the That's new one. That's it, isn't it? Yeah, so I looked at it, I was like, Rick. No, wait, eh? this side, it just didn't make sense <laughs> yeah. to me. But yeah, I'd say definitely the new, there's a lot of new Nissans coming out. So take a walk around the dealership. You'll see a lot of cars you don't recognize, which is a good thing because a lot of them have been facelifted recently. Um, so I'd recommend if you're going out of the Peugeot for 75, pay twenty, thirty thousand dollars more and have a look at the Nissan range. Yeah, and I think you know, honestly, given this market right now, 
probably a smart move, well, not right now, but with Peugeot in this market, uh, get out of it while it's still relatively young and get some money back because they do depreciate massively here. A lot. Yeah, a lot. And, and just, yeah, jump into something else. Jump into a Honda, a Toyota, a Mitsubishi, you know, something because Peugeots are, are a bit of a lead weight you in know, terms of uh, resale because here. because it's all about the mindset, right? You, yeah. you think Peugeot here and you think, oh, all right, whatever. But, you know, I go back to England or you go to Australia and somebody gives you a nice 2019 Peugeot 308, you'd be like, oh, that's really nice. I love that. You know, yeah. that's a nice car to drive. Perfect for the roads, fair perfect for parking. But here we kind of look down on them for some reason. I think well, <laughs> someone told me it goes back to going back to the mid 2000s mm. when Peugeot actually saturated the taxi market here with a 406. And, oh, and that really? decimated its uh, its image and its value. So Peugeot pulled out of the taxi market, and I think Ford Ford picked up with a Mondeo for Over a here? short time. Yeah. So what's uh, happening with all the Camrys? And then the cam- then but Toyota the just number one. Like, yeah. Toyota must have learned something and done something different. I don't know. Well, their air conditioning is amazing, so yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that might help for taxi passengers. Um, now, I got another text message quickly from Pablo. Pablo has a uh, 2016 Honda Accord, um, silver with 111,000 kilometres on that one. Uh, no details on on specs or what model range, but uh, but again, Honda Accord, they'll last for years. They'll 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 go forever. They will. They're the immediate competitor to the Camry, but nowhere near as popular, right? They're just, um, although they're amazing cars, um, I'd say around forty-five to fifty somewhere there. Yeah, that's not not a bad value. Um, but you know, again, they'll they'll go they'll go for for such a long time. Mm. Um, but anyway, I think look, that's about where we've uh, we've 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 run out of time, Naz, this weekend. Um, so. Thank you so much for, no problem, uh, for, for joining us on, on Motor Mania once again. I'll see you back in the studio in a couple of weeks on the 22nd of April. Thank um, you for having me. For all the listeners, listeners out there, anyone celebrating Eid, have fun, enjoy, and uh, yeah. Yeah, what, what are your this. plans for, for Eid this weekend now? So just, now that I've uh, ruined it by calling you into the studio. <laughs> make the most of uh, the next 48 hours, maybe a little staycation with the family, maybe go for a drive. Uh, just really try and spend as much outdoor time as possible before uh, the weather creeps up. I was thinking out this morning, it is so nice out there. This is the first Eid weekend we can really enjoy without it being hot, and it's just nice and changes. I don't it? remember it being this cool in April for, yeah. for a few years now, so we're getting lucky. Yeah, well, there you go. There's another busy hour wrapped up. I'm Damien Reed. Thank you again, Naz Chowdhury, and this is Motor Mania.